Well, good morning. I'm Dave Bostrom, the student ministries pastor here at Lakewood. And uh, it is really, truly a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Um, you know, sometimes you try to figure out if you're going to be up there for one time, what are you going to speak on? And, and so typically what I go to are the things that I think God is teaching me at the time. And, uh, and so the sermon title, What's in Your Hand, you'll kind of see that developed. But ultimately the, what, what I'm asking is, or talking about really, is being intentional with those gifts and talents and skills that God has given you and using them for his glory. When I was uh, younger, um, my brothers really got annoyed with me. I have two older brothers, and uh, especially my middle brother. Um, but I could pick up a racket, a ball, a bat, a club, whatever it was, and seem to naturally be able to do it, get on skates and skate, um, all those kinds of things. And it just kind of was fairly easy for me. Um, but the one thing that I didn't do that annoyed my older brother is the fact is going, man, you have got some really good natural abilities, but you really don't work very hard at them. Because this is my older brother, one of the things that he did is he had to make himself into a good player. It didn't come naturally to him. For me, it came naturally, but I didn't put the work in. But one of the things that as I got older, one of the things I really enjoyed doing was playing football. I loved playing football. I loved uh, watching football and observing it and how it was, you know, how, how a game would go and what was the game plan and trying to figure that out. And then as I got older, I loved coaching football. But I think this would be true for anybody that's kind of coached or has enjoyed a sport of some type. Uh, one of the things that I've really enjoyed lately is I get to be the lead coach of sixth grade football over at Forest View. And so I've got my, my staff of coaches that coach teams, and I get to interact with these sixth grade boys, and, uh, and I get to teach them about what does it mean to be disciplined? What does it mean to, be, to work as a team? Um, to talk about um, that it takes more than just one person to be a great team. We've got to work in unison. And, uh, and it was interesting, there was a, a, Wednesday after, a Wednesday after practice, and we get done a little bit early uh, so that I can get over here to church for our Wednesday night things, and, and all of a sudden, I'm going through the locker room, and I'm going, hey guys, we've got to get rolling, they're like, yeah, 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 and I was like, no, seriously, I've I got to really lock the door, and I've got to get over to church, and they, they look at me like, oh, church, okay, and, they, and then they go, well, what do you do there? And I said, well, I'm a youth pastor, and they're like, What's a pastor? And I thought, definitely in the right spot. And I thought, wow, you know, here are these multiple boys, and one asked the question, you know, and I, I said, well, I get to work with students, and I get to tell them about who God is and how much he loves them. Now, I don't know, I can't even remember which boys it was, per se, but, but the idea is, is I want to be engaged in that, and I'm going to use a talented skill. I wouldn't call my coaching a spiritual gift. I'd call it a talent, a skill, something that God has kind of put in me that I enjoy. But spiritual gifts are things that are given to us directly by the Holy Spirit. In Genesis, it tells us, that we were created in his image, in God's image we were created, and we were very good. What I love about that is that that tells us that uh, God loves us, which is amazing, but I think it also tells us we have a purpose. We have a purpose. So what's our purpose? 
If God has told us this is our purpose, you know, that you were created, you were very good, God has purpose, so we must have purpose if we were created in his image. Well, Jesus is being questioned back in Matthew 22. He's being questioned by a man, and, and he's asking, he says, teacher, as he's uh, referring to Jesus, he says this, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Basically, all the teachings that have come from the old law and the prophets hinge on this. It's loving God. That's the first part of this. And so we see this vertical relationship that God wants us to have with him. And he says, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, there's this idea that there is nothing that's left without God's impact on it. To illustrate that, they wouldn't let me bring a pitcher of water up here because they figured I'd probably do something with it that I shouldn't. They're probably right. But if I had a pitcher of water and then a glass here and I began to fill it up and let's just say this pitcher represents God, represents him and his, who he is, and I'm going to put it into my glass, my life, my, as his vessel, and I keep pouring it in there, eventually there's going to be, you know, I'm going to determine how much until I'm going to pull that cup out. But being all in, loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul is very simple to think about. It's God keeps pouring and it just keeps flooding over the edges. And what does it do? It gets over everything below it, around it. Everything essentially has been touched by it. That's what it means to be all in. To have this idea that I love God with all my heart, with all my strength. It's everything. We don't have our little compartment over here that goes, well, that's my work compartment, so I don't really want that contaminating that, so I'm not going to spill into that. I'm not going to spill into my school stuff. I'm not going to spill into my family stuff. I just, I don't want to offend people. No, God is saying, hey, I want all of you. I just don't want some of you. But then we, in this passage, we see the second part of it. It tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's this idea of loving others. Well, if we're going to love others, that's a pretty important thing to do. But we see the vertical, and then we see this horizontal piece that God shows us, saying, hey, the people you are amongst, that's who you are to love. And you are to love them as I love them. Jesus gave his life for them. So it's telling us we've got a pretty, pretty big thing to do here. Well, Jesus clarifies this in Matthew 28 as he's He's talking to the disciples. The 11 are, you know, are heading out and Jesus has said, hey, go meet me here. And they're uh, just going to Galilee and they're on the mountain where God directed them. And, and so they're waiting and they're worshiping him. And uh, it even said some doubted. You might want to look into that. It's pretty neat. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all my command, commandments. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. There's a couple things in there that we notice that Jesus is saying, okay, I've got purpose for you. First of all, you need to love me with everything you got, and then you've got to love other people. 
There's a saying in New Orleans that we'd always have when we'd go down there. They said, love God with all you got, love people till you drop. That's the theme in this. And what I want you to see, though, is I want you to see that what's happening here is God is saying, I'm going to be a little more specific. I want you to love those that don't know me. So you can love others, okay, and it's easy to love those people we like, but those that we maybe are not like us, it's sometimes harder to love them. And so he's being real specific here. But I love how he ends this because what it says is he says, to the end of the age, I am always with you. He's saying, wherever you go, I'm with you. He's not going to desert us. He's not going to say, hey, you know what? You got that one on your own. That's just not the way God operates. And so he's saying, hey, my, what is our purpose? We are to love God. We are to love others. And we are to love the lost with everything we've got. That's our purpose. Well, then the question is, is why should we do it? I mean, yes, Jesus has told us to do it. It's like mom saying, you need to do this. And then you're like, okay, I'll do it. But why should we do it? Is there a reason that, you know, God is giving us? And I I came up with a couple that I thought there's more than this, but I think these are a couple that I, I think touch on it. The first one comes from Colossians 3.17, and it says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What it's telling us is everything we do, we do for his glory. His glory. Not our own, because it's easy to kind of say, hey, I'm going to do this because I like it. And then when it goes well, we're like, oh, hey, look at me. But it's for our It's for his glory, not our own. And boy, I'll tell you, I struggle sometimes because what happens is is I often look at myself and I go, oh, yeah, that went well, but oh, it's for God's glory. You know, and then inside I'm going, yeah, but it was good, I feel good. You know, and it's almost like I'm taking the glory and I want people to recognize me. There's this battle. But then in Ephesians, Paul shares in uh, Ephesians 5, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Notice in that passage, it says, make the best use of your time. There's this idea that we have to be intentional. We've got we've to plan and we've got to do this. And so when you look at that, it's like, okay, well, I need to make the best of your time. Well, why do I need to make the best of the time? Because the days are evil, meaning the world is walking away from God. And so what are we going to do? The days are evil. The days are short. And we need to get acting. We've got to be doing what God has commanded us to do. And I think oftentimes we can kind of get in our little holy huddles and and just kind of get comfortable when God's saying, there's no time to be comfortable here. I need you to step out. So how, so if we know our purpose... We know we should do it. Then the next question really is how? How are we going to do that? Because really we need to be intentional. And that idea of intentional means that you're going to come up with a plan. You're going you're to look for the opportunities. You're not going to wait for them to come to you. We need to use our talents and skills. We need to use our spiritual gifts. It was interesting, I, I just wanted to do a little definition thing to find out what spiritual gifts and talents, the difference, how, how the dictionary would kind of define it. 
And so I found this uh, definition. It says, the difference between spiritual gifts and talents. A talent is the result of genetics, training, or practice, while a spiritual gift is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit alone. A talent can be possessed by anyone, Christian or non-Christian, while spiritual gifts are only possessed by those that have a relationship with Jesus. While both talents and spiritual gifts should be used for God's glory and to minister to others, spiritual gifts are focused on these tasks, while talents can be used entirely for non-spiritual purposes. So God has created in you a heart for things, things you enjoy, things that you can do well. It may be that you love fishing. It may be that you are great with poetry. It may be a variety of things. It may be sport. You like to coach. You like to play. Who knows what it is? But God has wired each of us differently. It tells us, and Mark had read this earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but, in the, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. He's primarily talking about spiritual gifts here, but, but it can be moved to this idea of talents and skills. Things God has given us a variety of those. I mean, think about this for a second. In about five weeks, we're going to start ministries here. And are we willing to say, I'm going to use those spiritual gifts, which spiritual gifts are designed to be used right here in the body of Christ. Now, they can overflow into the outer part of the world, but their primary role is to be used here in the body of believers. So in five weeks, we've got children that are going to need to be taught. It's not children's daycare because so we can go to the service. It's children's ministries. We want to minister and disciple those children. Student ministries, we can always use small group leaders that can invest in teenagers, women, mentors. I mean, you go through the list, there's a variety of places of servants, so many of you do, but sometimes it seems as though we get to a point in our lives and say, you know what, I've done that for a lot of years, it's someone else's turn. Guys, I don't see that in the Bible. There's no retirement as a Christian. Maybe you're on some community action thing and you can do that. You can say, yeah, I'm done serving with that. That's okay. But in the body, we need to be about serving one another. Because it tells us this, 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Or Romans 12 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Man, you know, I sit there and I, I see that word grace come up. These gifts and talents and skills God's given it to us are by his grace. You know, I think sometimes we get this perspective that God is a, a God that just kind of well, maybe just give us enough. Just, just, just kind of get us by on things. Well, maybe that's escaping through a bad situation where you've been disobedient. But when I look at Scripture, I see a God that loves us and lavishes his love on us. When I look in Scripture, I see a God that's all merciful. When I see a God that's graceful, he doesn't just give us a little bit of grace. He gives us a lot of grace. So much grace that is sufficient. He gives us more 
than we need. In almost all cases, when we love him, he gives us more. And so I want you to be thinking that when God has given you these special skills and talents, and sometimes they don't even think, you don't even think they're that significant. But anything that you have, that you enjoy, that you're good at, who are you including in that with you? Is there somebody in the world that could benefit from this? I want to go to kind of three stories from Scripture that I think kind of illustrate a little bit of this about using what God has given you. Moses has been, you know, was in Egypt. He fled. And now it's about time to head back to Egypt because God's told him, hey, I need you to go get my people. And Moses obviously is a little reluctant to this, and, and so he's got some excuses and, and different things. And so God knows this about Moses, so he, he's having this conversation with Moses, which that in itself is just cool. Moses is willing just to share his heart with them. And so we pick up in Exodus 4. It says, But behold, they will not believe me, this is Moses, or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. You know, because Moses is like, They're not going to believe me. And God says, okay, I know this about you, Moses. It's okay. Hey, what do you got in your hand? You know, and I'm thinking, this Moses kind of is going, uh, is this a trick question, God? I got a staff. And that's what it says. He goes, uh, I got a staff. And, and God says, well, throw it to the ground. He throws it to the ground. And it becomes a snake. And I don't know about you. I don't like snakes. I don't want to be by snakes. But I'm thinking for Moses, he was in the wilderness. He saw his share of snakes. And so God says, pick it up by the tail. <laughs> yeah. So he picks it up. And it becomes a staff again. But see, again, remember I said that I think God often gives us more than what we, we, we think maybe we need. And he's going he's gonna to do that right here. And he says, hey, Moses, put your hand in your cloak. He puts his hand in his cloak and he pulls it out and it's white. It's leprous. And he's like, ooh, you know, it doesn't move. He can't do anything. It's flaking and it's of no use. And he says, put it back in your cloak. He puts it back in his cloak, pulls it back out and it's refreshed. It's brand new. And so he says, Moses, now listen, if they don't believe the first sign, maybe they'll, you know, they'll believe the latter. You know? And uh, so Moses, I'm thinking, is like, okay, yeah, sure, I can do that. And, uh, but then he goes, just one more thing. If they don't believe those things, go to the Nile when you're there. Grab some water, put it up on shore in a hole, and then touch it with your staff, and it'll become blood. needed the staff but he gave him even more proof that he was going to be with him i love that thought and then in verse 17 of chapter 4 it says this and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs the staff that moses used for the normal things of life he's 80 years old i'm sure he's like okay heck, you know i can use this for walking and staying steady in these areas in which he would be knocking the the animals to where they need to go protecting himself a staff that was just common use all of a sudden god has transformed it into something that now anytime moses looks at that staff what does he see he sees what god will do with it it's a kind of a part of him. It has kind of transformed how he sees things. And so the staff now, he's going, okay, God's with me. I remember the snake. Anytime he probably looks at his hand, he's like, man, that was bad. He didn't have to see that miracle of the blood, the water turned into blood. He knew full well God would do it. 
How about David and his sling? I mean, there's a lot of great stories of David, but um, I love the story. Basically, here's the quick summary of what's happening if you don't know the story. You've got the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, and Israel, and they're in this basically this canyon up on the hills, and they're camped out. And so basically what would happen is you would have the, the strongest from each of these um, of these groups, they would come together, whoever won, then the other, te- you know, uh, the other nation would then just surrender, which ultimately wasn't what would happen. They'd just kill all the people anyways once they turned in their weapons. But, but that's for another story. But the reality is, is here's the scenario that they're going to fight each other and nobody's willing to fight from the Israelites. It even says Goliath's in his chair, kind of sitting there, and he's just spouting off stuff about the Israelites and about their God. And I mean, things that we can't say in church. David comes up to his brothers. He brings supplies because they've obviously been there a little while. Brothers are doing nothing and nothing like a little brother, right? Guys, guys, what's going on? What? Did he just say what I think he said? Did you, do you guys hear what he said? David, just give us the stuff and get out of here, would you? No, I mean, seriously, did you hear that? And they're like, just go. Would you go? He goes, well, you guys are going to do something about it, right? And they're doing nothing. He's like, well, we got to do something about this. David's engaged. He's like, you don't talk about our God like this. How dare you? I mean, there's this righteous indignation that he's like, you can't do that. I want to stop here for a second. Do we get that way when we hear our God's name defamed? and put into places that not be? Do we inside just go, oh, it pains us? Or do we just go, nah, that's the way of the world. David is upset. The brothers are doing nothing about it, so he's like, well, I'll fight them. And I just think it's funny, because here's King Saul, hunkered down in his thing. It tells us that he is like a, you know, a head taller than anybody else in his nation. He should be the one out there fighting. He's probably the biggest man they have, and he's not willing to go. But then here comes David. Somehow they get word and he's like, here, put this armor on. It's like four times too big. You know, and he's like, I can't use this. David's going to fight him. He doesn't care what's going on around. He just knows exactly what that giant has said about their God. And he's not going to stand for it. This is kind of the sense where we begin to see that idea of, of, of David and his heart. A man after God's own heart saying, man, I love this God so much. How can you say these things about him? And so then what happens is, is all of a sudden, here he is going, what do I do? Well, I'm going to fight him. And it says he takes his staff, finds five smooth stones. And I don't think these are like skipping stones. I think these are more round. Puts them in his pouch. And then this conversation ensues. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with a shield-bearer in front of him. Couldn't even hold all his stuff. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Remember, he had his staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh for the, uh, to the birds and of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me 
with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, which I'm thinking, I'd be freaking out. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Do you notice what David does? He shifts right here and says, this isn't for my glory. I'm not coming to fight you, Goliath. God's fighting you. I have nothing to fear. It's the Lord of hosts. It's his armies. And you have defied him. Whoa. I mean, that's, that's intense to think about. But then David goes on. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of, of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Do you notice again, the glory is not coming to him winning the battle. It's all going to God. We have to remember that when we do things for ourselves, that's for our glory. Well, this is the part of the story that I think sometimes we, we miss. It says the Philistine rose out of his seat. And it says David ran quickly toward him with a sling in hand, grabs it, puts it in, and he's on the move. He is running toward the battle. I think David, this is just, I don't have this in the text, I think David could have shot that thing this way even though Goliath was there and it would have hit him right in the forehead. Because this was a God event, this wasn't a David event. And I want you to think that David was so secure in knowing that this was God's battle, he had no fear. He was young. And we know the rest is history. Hits him in the forehead, the giant goes down. Then there's one story that I think is just real precious. And it was a number of years ago, I heard somebody kind of share it, and I was like, wow, I guess I'd never really looked at it that way. It's the little boy in the New Testament is feeding the 5,000, and, and he's got these loaves and fish that are available. And so the story is, is the disciples have been traveling with Jesus, and, and they've got this huge crowd that's been following them all over the place. And he has been healing the sick. And so people are everywhere. Except Passover's coming. People are hungry. And so he gets them, he just has everybody sit, sit on, the, on the hillside. And Jesus, he, it even says in there, Jesus, he's, he's going to use this to kind of teach the disciples. Because they're hungry. And, and so he asks this question. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat. He says this to Philip and Philip's like, um, well, I got 200 denarii. I'm thinking, Philip, seriously, where's the nearest bread store? I mean, there's, there's nothing nearby. And he says, but he says, even though, you know, that wouldn't even be enough to kind of get everybody just a little morsel because it's not just 5,000 he's feeding. He's probably feeding closer to 9,000 people. It's a lot of people. And then you've got Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and, they're, and I can just imagine them just kind of sitting going, hey, what do we do? We're going to buy bread. Oh, I got this money. And then I, I, just, I just picture this little boy coming up and just saying, um, um, and then Andrew's like, yes. And he says, um, I, I've got this. 
Would this help? And I thought, whoa. This boy has something really pretty insignificant when you look at the masses. When you look at what he's He's going to do here. God knows what's going to happen. And Jesus, you just got to imagine, he's going, oh, this is going to be great. This is this. And, and, and what does he do? He uses a young boy. Because the young boy isn't going, oh, man, there's 9,000 people. My bread and fish aren't going to feed anybody. That's not going to help at all. No, the boy's heart is what I think our heart needs to be. It's, um, I, I got this. Lord, can you use this? And then what does God do with it? He multiplies it exponentially to all these people, and then there's leftovers. Do you see this idea of abundance again? God doesn't just give us a little bit. He's saying, hey, I'm going to give you more than what you need because I am with you to the very ends of this age. I don't know, the point that I think sometimes we we have to get to is we all have these talents and we have these skills and, we, and if you're a believer in Christ, you have these spiritual gifts. And I, I think we've got to get to the point and ask the question, are we going to use these for his glory? Are we going to be intentional and make the best use or even as I think the NIV says, making the most of every opportunity? Because, guys, a lot of times what we have the tendency to do is this. We let things come our way, right? And we just let them try to approach us and go, well, we'll see what happens. When Scripture is basically telling us we need to go forward, we need to be like David, we need to be like the little boy, we need to be like Moses, where we're moving forward. We're being intentional with what God has given us. And we're going to do something with it. I don't know about you, but... It's hard sometimes to figure out how should I do this or do that or how can I be intentional with somebody. And I was just thinking, you know, oftentimes when I pray, you know, um, I'm going, well, this prayer doesn't really change the world. God already knows what's going to happen. You know, but I'm going, okay, but i got to praise him. i got to thank him because he's amazing. He tells us to bring our requests to him, so I need to do this. But one of the prayers that has been really life-changing for me is that I'll say, Lord, give me your eyes. Let me see what you want me to see. And even more specifically, I'll say, Lord, are there people, help me have people today that I need to love, that I need to serve, that I need to come alongside. Now, if I was to go through that day without that prayer, I may not see anything because I'm not being intentional about it and that day just goes on by. But if I can have that Groundhog Day moment and I go back and relive that day after that prayer, what do I see? All of a sudden I see this person and this person and this person that needs something. What changed? Not the day, not the opportunities, but my eyes and my heart. So this is a question for us. Are we, in our hearts, going to be willing to say, you know what, i got to be intentional? It's as simple as saying, i got $20. What can I do with 20 bucks? Well, if I ask kids, you know, I says, hey, you know, if I gave you 20 bucks, you could spend it on whatever you wanted. What would you spend it on? And most of the time, the answers are clothing or some kind of entertainment. So I said, well, 
How about that 20 bucks, you invite a friend on a Tuesday night, because it's cheaper, to the movies? But you know something about that movie and some of the themes in that movie. Maybe you've already seen it, but you want to see it again. You invite a friend. And then you say, hey, afterwards, let's just go get something to eat at McDonald's because it's two for three and you get the large drink. So, hey, it's a cheap night. And you sit down and you start saying, hey, so what was in that movie that you really thought was kind of interesting? And you begin to talk about the themes in that movie. Is that really all that hard? Is that really threatening to a non-Christian or somebody that doesn't know Christ? Absolutely not. Social media, some of you are just like, don't say the word, it's like a swear word. But there's other people that say, you know what, I'm using social media as a way to reach out to people, to be positive in a world that's negative, to bring hope to a world that is lost. Where are those things in which you're good? Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's just something you love to do. It's biking and you just go for a bike with somebody. Maybe it's a coworker that really seems down and you find out something they like and you're like, oh, I kind of like that. Let's do that together. You never know where those conversations will go, but what are you doing? You're saying, you know what? Give me your eyes, Jesus. Let me see them the way you see them. I'm going to show a music video here, and it's of a song, Give Me Your Eyes. Many of you have heard it by Brandon Heath, came out a number of years ago. But in the beginning of the song, basically what it's asking is this question. Or it's not a question, but he's saying, here, I, I just used to go through life, just kind of going through life. I wasn't intentional about anything. I didn't see people for who they were and the way you saw them. And then as the song transitions, all of a sudden it gets to this point where he's saying, Let me see them the way you see them. And all of a sudden, guess what? He begins to notice. He begins to notice these needs around him and he takes action. So the question for us, are we going to have the eyes of Jesus and use those gifts that he's given us? He's given us a purpose. He's told us what we should do. We have the gifts to do it. But the question is, are we going to step into it and be used by him? Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the examples of Scripture that show us what it means to be used by God, but also your heart for people. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are fully committed to you, that we are all in, that we are overflowing into all areas of our lives but that, Lord, we have a heart for those that are in this body. and We have a heart for those that are lost and don't know you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would prompt our hearts to respond to what you're telling us. But we thank you for your love for us, your mercy, your grace, and your risen Son. In your name, amen. You're dismissed. Have a great rest of the afternoon.